0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, That joke was just bad enough that it was actually funny, right? You know? (laughs) Uh, so glad you're here. If you're brand new with us today, just for sake of introduction, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody online joining us by a live stream. We're so glad to have you with us and uh, excited for what God has for all of us. Before I jump in to the message, I do want to just highlight one thing about Easter. As Marie just mentioned, um, you can RSVP to save your seat, which we think will be valuable and necessary. Otherwise, Will run out of seats and it will be a bad experience for a lot of people. So, we don't want that. So, please do that. But I want you to be thinking about this who might you invite to come with you? And the reason I ask that is because uh, there are two Sundays or two church calendar events throughout a year that, that more people are more likely to come to, and it's Christmas Eve and Easter. And top that off with a personal invitation, uh, people are more likely to respond to a personal invitation than they are to a generic advertisement. And so, um, ask God, who is it that you might have me to invite uh, to come with me? And our goal is this, that people would encounter Jesus, find hope, and belong in family. And so, uh, we believe that that can happen as people come to something maybe they just do traditionally, um, but find something more than they were expecting. All right? So, be thinking about who you might invite uh, here coming up in just a couple of weeks for Easter. So, um, raise your hand if you are in conflict with anybody, relative, a coworker. Uh, okay? Yeah, raise your hand if you're in conflict, <laughs> if you're in conflict with anybody, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you're in conflict with the person next to you, <laughs> Some people were like, yep, yep. (laughs) Some of you maybe had conflict on the way in this morning, in the car. We have conflict all over our world, right? It might be in the car or in the home we live in. Uh, It might be in our own selves. It could be across the world. We certainly see a conflict in Ukraine. There's conflict in other portions of the world. There's conflicts of ideologies. There's racial conflict. There is uh, domestic conflict looking like domestic abuse or uh, looks like an argument. There's conflict uh, that looks like sexual assault. There are all different types of conflict. There's political conflict, conflict between Republicans and Democrats, so much so that In 2017, Reuters did a poll and found that one in six Americans stopped talking to a family member or close friend because of the 2016 election. That was 2017. I wonder if those numbers have gone up after 2020. So we know how to do conflict. (laughs) We know how to divide, right? Go to Facebook. It's proof positive. We're in a series going through the Sermon on the Mount throughout this year, but the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, and our series on the Beatitudes is called Lucky, because each of the Beatitudes begin with the word blessed, which sounds a little bit like a kind of a spiritual word or a a Christian kind of nice word, but the bigger meaning is, is that we're lucky or happy regardless of circumstances, that it's a condition of our soul. I feel so lucky to be alive. And these beatitudes are counterintuitive, maybe countercultural, certainly challenging. I don't know about you, but I certainly have been challenged even as I've studied and preached uh, many of these beatitudes. I mean, blessed are the meek. I'm still like marinating on what that looks like and what that looks like in my life. And some of you might find yourself uncomfortable maybe going through the Beatitudes or continuing on through the Sermon on the Mount. But I think that's okay because Jesus came to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And if we find ourselves not uncomfortable with anything that Jesus says, then chances are we've made Jesus in our own image rather than looking at Him and wondering and asking ourselves if we're being made into His. And so we jump into the seventh Beatitude today, which is the second to the last one. It was relevant when Jesus spoke it on a hillside on the Sea of Galilee, and it's very relevant to us today. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I don't know anybody who doesn't want peace. right? We want peace with our neighbors, and we want peace with our coworkers, and we want peace with our kids, and we want peace with our spouse, and we want peace in the world. We, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I don't really care. I actually prefer chaos. But when we think of peace, we oftentimes just think of living in harmony, like like asking the question, can't we just all get along? But Jesus, when he's talking about peace and blessing the peacemakers, the word peace he's using here is the Hebrew word shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom would be defined as wholeness. Things as they were intended to be with God, self, others, and creation, because we're oftentimes in conflict with one or any or all of those things. And God has a way, and the world started in when there was complete peace with all of those things. Sin and death entered the world, and since then, we lack peace. But we see what this could look like throughout Scripture. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. This is Shalom. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. This is Shalom. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, He will judge, God will judge, between the nations and settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is Shalom. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writing to this young church in Ephesus His, meaning God's, purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles and the ways in which they were in conflict with one another. To reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. This is Shalom. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, end of the Bible, picture of what it looks like when Jesus comes back, he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is shalom. Like I said, everybody wants peace. I don't know anybody that doesn't, but how we go about it is the question. In Jesus' day, peace was established and kept through violence and force. The Romans were in charge, and any insurrection or any uh, way in which things weren't peaceful in the ways that they wanted things to be, they crushed. So when Herod heard about a king being born, Jesus, he kills all the babies, two and under. Why? To keep peace. Jesus, one of the reasons that he was crucified was because He had a lot of followers and a lot of people around him and a lot of people following him, and they thought this could turn into a group that rises up against the powers of the day, and so he was killed. I wonder sometimes, even if we look at that scenario and we see those types of examples, we think, oh, that's so extreme, and I can't believe they would do that. It is terrible, and it is. But I wonder if we ever take the moment... And time to look at ourselves and say, Am I any different? Now, maybe, and hopefully, none of us have crucified anybody, literally, but we can do it in a lot of other ways through our words, through shame, through canceling someone else, manipulation. The zealots were in the audience listening to Jesus on this hillside as he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount. Zealots were Jewish revolutionaries, meaning that they were willing to take up arms and to exert violence against their Roman oppressors to demonstrate that they were loyal sons of God because they thought they were bringing about the kingdom by violence. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, he is addressing and making a point to the zealots. And he's maybe asking the question, is it really like father, like son? Is this really how God's kingdom is supposed to come about? And I think that if we take just a moment and look at ourselves or we look around, I would like to suggest that Christians have often taken the way of the zealots and contributed to conflict but i love what martin luther king jr says returning hate for hate multiplies hate adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that what's he saying violence can't take care of violence it only multiplies the violence But what were you taught to do? How were you taught to handle somebody else not bringing peace? Punch those who punch you contempt for contempt. Or as Jesus talks about later in the Sermon on the Mount, an eye for an eye. David Gushy, commentator, wrote the book Kingdom Ethics, says, as followers of Jesus, we abandon the effort to get our needs met through the destruction of our enemies. So the question is, okay, if we don't force peace, what do we do? I wonder sometimes if we even know how to be peacemakers. I know that for me, I, I grew up in a Christian home and I grew up going to church, but I, I don't think that I was discipled or taught how to be a peacemaker. I never had a class on resolving conflict or negotiating differences. I find that to be true of a lot of people. Maybe we're taught how to avoid conflict at every cost and be a peacekeeper because peacekeeping and peacemaking are very different. Peacekeeping, peacekeepers are the ones who are like, don't rock the boat. You know, like, just leave it all alone. And so, so really it's the peace, the peace avoiders, conflict avoiders, excuse me, and pretenders. So we dodge and we appease and we, we beat around the bush and we never really actually deal with the problem. So it may not be peace through violence, but it's peace through silence. You know, think about maybe uh, being at work and your boss is consistently rude. And so instead of saying anything, you're like, well, I don't want to rock the boat, and, you know. so I'm just not going to say anything. So instead... You gossip behind his back. Or maybe it's your roommate, you know, who doesn't wash the dishes. Or maybe it's not your roommate, it's your spouse, your kids, or whoever it is. The list is on the wall, and we've talked about this, we've had a family meeting, we've had a house meeting, and, and they're piling, it's his turn this week again. but I'm not going to say anything, I don't want to rock the boat. And so then you just resent them, and you're passive-aggressive. Or maybe... You go out to dinner with your friends at a really nice restaurant, but you're on a budget. And so you order a salad. And you're like, and I'll just fill up on the breadsticks that are free. And your friends are ordering steak and appetizers and extras and and drinks. And and you're like, oh, that looks good, but I'm on a budget, and I'm just going to stick to my budget. And then somebody says... Let's just split it all even across the board. Can we do that? And you're like, I'm on a budget, I'm on a budget. That's a great idea. And then you hate them. (laughs) Or maybe like I heard not too long ago, hey, don't talk about racial justice, you're causing division. So so what you're saying is if I don't talk about problems they just go away. See I wonder if peacekeepers confuse quiet with peace. See peacekeeping leads to artificial peace. Like a ceasefire. Ceasefires are good. I'd rather have in a war somebody not shooting than somebody shooting. Somebody dropping, not dropping bombs rather than dropping bombs, right? But no no issues got resolved. They're just not killing each other. So, peace through violence or peace through silence. But I love what Daryl Johnson, author and pastor, says. He says, peace comes when the causes of strife are healed. Not just when we avoid and ignore and just smile at each other. If peacekeeping leads to artificial peace, peacemaking leads to authentic peace. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about the difference between negative peace and positive peace. Negative peace is the absence of conflict, which is, which is good, and we will celebrate that. But he says positive peace or what could be called kingdom peace, is the presence of love and justice. See, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, or blessed are the peace seekers, or blessed are the peace wanters, or blessed are the peace hopers, or blessed are the peace dreamers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is made which means that we have to actively engage and not think that peace just magically happens. If we are to be peacemakers, we have to move towards and engage with the conflict. Kind of like a, a fireman running towards a fire while everybody else is running away from it. And so it means that we have to have the courage to speak and the humility to listen. And so if we're not going to be peacekeepers or try to exert and create peace in our homes or in our relationships by force, violence, or silence, how do we become peacemakers? I'd like to suggest that there, to be peacemakers, we must ask ourselves two questions, and then we must embrace two realities. So first, the two questions. Number one, what different circumstances or relationships am I avoiding to keep peace? You know that that relationship with a relative that said something to you that really hurt that you're like I'm just but but now you don't want to talk to them or the the coworker or maybe it's your spouse or maybe it's your roommate or maybe it's your kids or maybe it's your parents or maybe it's your neighbor. See, I think we've got to embrace the reality that if we avoid them and think that keeping the peace is good enough that it's kind of like the elephant in the room. See, elephants in the room feed on avoidance. Meaning that the more avoidance we we the more the more we engage in avoidance, the bigger the elephant gets as it feeds on it. And before you know it, it grows and the elephant fills the room. And the goal is to get rid of the elephant when it's a lot smaller. So what difficult circumstances or relationships am I avoiding to keep peace, number one? And number two, and the reason, first of all, that we want to ask that question is because if we don't think that we have any conflict or we don't have any things, relationships that need mending, then we won't do anything. Secondly, how was I taught to handle conflict? All of us were taught to handle conflict in one form or another. Maybe we weren't enrolled in a class, but something was modeled. We were formed by our families of origin or formed, I would also add to that, by our church families of origin. It was the air that we breathed. It was the classroom we lived in without ever having to take a test. It just happened to us. And you might say, but... But I'm a, I'm a Christian. And so like I you know, I, I read my Bible and I read, Jesus says to us, Blessed are the peacemakers. I love what Pete Cazero says in his book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Jesus is in my heart, but grandpa is in my bones. <laughs> and we need to deal with grandpa. For me, I grew up in a home where I saw argument and conflict, and then it was ice cold. Things went really cold, and then passive-aggressive, and then the passive-aggressiveness in, you know, just kind of kept it alive in that way. And so, so in my home, it got it, the, the goal was to pray it away. Let's pray the conflict away, which really is also about blaming it on Satan. This is, this is the enemy. I wonder sometimes if Satan is like, hey, 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 I know I've done a lot of bad things, <laughs> but this one's on you, not on me. I mean... Now, do I think the enemy likes conflict and division? Absolutely. For Jossie, my wife, she grew up in a home where conflict was bad. To be in conflict meant you were bad, so there was shame surrounding conflict, which taught her then to do or give in whatever way necessary in order to avoid conflict, to appease, And what does all that do? Creates an artificial peace. See, we carry what we learn early on in life forward. What is not transformed will be transmitted. So we carry it forward into our own relationships, carry it forward into our marriages, carry it forward into our city groups, carry it forward into our relationships with our kids. We carry it forward carry it forward into our church relationships, we carry it forward, which is why we are so intent on people going through uh, emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships. Two groups that are offered every semester, spring, summer, and fall, because it, it is, in my opinion, the best tool for developing skills for dealing with conflict well, for examining how we were formed growing up, as well as developing the skills to be reformed in the way of Jesus. So, two questions. What difficult circumstances or relationships am I avoiding to keep peace? And two, how was I taught to handle conflict? To be peacemakers, we must embrace two realities. Number one, conflict is normal. And it's normal for everyone, including followers of Jesus. Conflict is not unchristian. Conflict is human. I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I was a college pastor for 11 years before we planted Mill City. And and so I was was regularly doing premarital counseling because my second job, especially in the summer, was to officiate weddings. And I would regularly, we'd have a session on conflict. And I would say, conflict is not bad. If you have conflict, there is not a problem. The problem is if you don't resolve the conflict. There is the problem. That will lead to a myriad of other problems. If we don't talk it out, work it out, we will act it out. And so, so we need to know that conflict with family, conflict with roommates, conflict with teachers, conflict with neighbors, conflict with spouses, conflict with anybody is normal. Conflict in a church is normal. I've seen so many people over the years that are like, you know, I'm leaving because, you know, there was conflict. I mean, this church obviously must not really love God because you have conflict. Then they go to another church, and what do they experience? Conflict. I think it's because of them. And so, <laughs> no matter how educated you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how old you are, conflict is normal. Conflict will happen. And you might be like, oh man, right now, my life, it's kind of like whitewater rafting. You're like floating down the river. You're like, this is great. You ever been on whitewater rafting for the very first time and you're floating, you're like, this is not bad. And you take a little like couple of bumps, you know, like and you're like, this is it. This is what all the hoopla is about. And you're floating, and you're like, man, and maybe that's what your life feels like. You're like, I am a peacemaking machine. But then you start to hear the roar of the white water. So whether you're in conflict, have been in conflict, conflict is coming. And if you're not in conflict with anybody out here or you know, outside, you probably might be in conflict with yourself. Conflict is part of life. Conflict is normal. And the second reality that we need to embrace if we're going to be peacemakers is that sacrificial love is necessary. Sacrificial love is a necessary element of peacemaking. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him, he's talking about Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, to reconcile, reconcile is a peacemaking word. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God made shalom, God made peace through sh- sacrificial love, and so do we. The way of peacemaking is the way of the cross. And you're like, oh, that sounds painful. And, and sometimes it is. It's going to hurt. Sacrificial, you know, set to sacrifice, that, that word is, kind of feels painful even to say it, the, the things that come into your mind. Some of you might know this. You've been around for a while. In 2014, the retina in my left eye fully detached, so I could not see out of my left eye. So I went to the ophthalmologist, and I'm like, "Hey, I I got a problem. Can't see." (laughs) Now this is the thing. It didn't hurt. It didn't hurt when it came off. It didn't hurt while I just sat there. Just was like, it it just was. He said, "We need to get you in for surgery immediately." So I went into surgery, and in a couple of days, he said, if we don't get this taken care of soon, uh, you will lose the ability to see out of that eye. So I go in for surgery. It's a couple of hours. I come out, and I am in agonizing pain, agonizing. I'm bent over the pressure in my left eyeball. It feels like my eyeball is about to explode out of my head, and it is just, and they're giving me some um, uh, Drugs, and, <laughs> and I'm like, more please. It's not doing anything. You know, I wasn't sitting there thinking, I can't believe you did this to me. I was not in pain before. But now I'm in pain. This obviously was so dumb. Because if I le- kept with the no pain option, I would be blind in my left eye. But I went with the short-term pain option so that I could see and be healed long-term. The goal is that we would be willing to do the same, to move forward into the pain so that we can have long term healing in relationships with ourselves, with God, with our world. And Jesus says that if you're a peacemaker, you'll be called the children of God. I think sometimes when we engage, Peace and try to make peace with somebody who wants to be a peacekeeper or who is a peace avoider. They may not call you the son of God or the daughter of God. They may call you other things because you are disrupting the peace and you're a troublemaker and you're somehow not a not okay. But if there is full on healing and restoration, what's Jesus saying? He's saying you're going to look like God because it's what God did. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. See, maybe to rewrite this, this beatitude in a little bit of a different way. Lucky are those who reconcile with their adversaries, for they will look most like God. Because that's exactly what He did for us. The reality is we cannot meet peace with others until we've made peace with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. So the question for all of us here today is, am I at peace with God? When Jesus arrived on the scene and was born in a manger in Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem there were some shepherds and in the night sky was this chorus of angels that was announcing Jesus' arrival. And they say, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. What are they saying? No glory to God, no peace. Glory to God, peace. How do we glorify God? By reconciling with him. Making peace with God. There will be peace in the world when we are able to make peace with God in ourselves. So my question for each and every one of us here today is do you need to make peace with God? If that's you and you would say, yeah, I'm far from God. Maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you haven't been in church in a long time or maybe you've been in church every week but you still say, you know what? I'm not at peace. We've kind of, God and I have kind of had this I don't bother you, you don't bother me kind of relationship kind of peace avoiders, artificial peace, but I want to make authentic peace with God today. If that's you here today, in the room or online, will you to, just say under your breath, God, I give you my life. See, Jesus gave his life, and the response for us is to give our lives. And as we do that, we experience forgiveness of sins. We experience Life and we experience reconciliation with God. And it is the beginning of a journey of ongoing transformation. It's not the only thing that we need to pray, but it is an amazing first thing to say to God. The question I also want all of us to ask is, who do I need to make peace with? I have somebody that I need to call this week. Who do you need to reach out to? Maybe you have more than one. <laughs> are you willing to be a peacemaker and not just a peacekeeper? Our weekly practice is the same this week as it has been throughout the series, and that is to memorize the Beatitudes. So today, this week, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Not just so we can know it in our heads, but so that we can meditate it in our hearts so that we can embody the Beatitudes. So as we lean into what God is calling us to, I want to take a moment. I just want to pray because we all will need courage from the Holy Spirit, courage to speak and the humility to listen the willingness to look at ourselves and our own patterns and habits, as well as admit whether or not we've contributed to, the, to peace or contributed to conflict. And so, Father, we thank you for your uh-huh. grace and your mercy. God, we come before you in poverty of spirit, with a meek and gentle heart before you, saying, God, Please forgive us for the ways that we have been peacekeepers and not peacemakers. That we've been peace contributors and not peacemakers. God, would you bring to mind the people that you would want us to reach out to, that we would need to take a step, maybe even a painful step, engage in some pain in order to bring about long-term healing. As far as, As it depends on us, God, help us to be at peace with all people. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.